This morning, we are getting back into Paul's great epistle to the Romans. And we are now in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. You can find that in your worship folder if you do want to follow along. Again, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Hear God's word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, But believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that the faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the, uns- of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is God's holy word. Father, we ask now that you once again would attend to the proclamation of your word, that as it is proclaimed, we would see Christ, and in seeing him, we might believe and rest in the peace of his gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the worst feelings I think that you can experience is when you fail to achieve something or accomplish a goal that you really thought you were able to do. You really thought you had the power, the ability to do it. And the reason for that, it means that your faith in yourself was misplaced. Your faith in your own ability to accomplish something was misplaced. We were wrong. And we thought we had the ability, the strength, the power to earn whatever it was that we wanted to earn, but we were unable to do so. Now, when it comes to the blessing of God, particularly His favor, His his smile upon us, His forgiveness of sin, the failure to achieve that is an absolute fatal mistake. It means we are still lost, still condemned in our sin, and still deserving justly God's judgments. And imagine going through life and trying your best to earn God's favor, to to remove that stain of sin, to scrub it away. And you get to the end and you stand before God in judgment and you find out that your best effort wasn't good enough. Oh, you tried hard through blood, sweat, and tears, but you didn't even come close to the goal. That 
sinking feeling will, will stick with you through all eternity, adding to the judgment of God that is upon you. And of course, that is not a make-believe scenario, as we've seen here already in Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 3.20, by the works of the law, the, the efforts that we do to keep God's law, no human being, nobody, will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It only shows us what the problem is. It can't solve it. And in the economy of heaven, you cannot earn God's favor. Rather, God must show you that favor solely by His grace. And that is, of course, the very heart of the gospel. A person is justified, which is declared right before God by faith alone. That is the great truth of what Luther said is the the prince, the Lord, the ruler, the judge over all kinds of doctrines, and that without it, the world is in utter darkness. So it's important, then, to understand this gospel. It is so important that men and women were willing to give of their own lives in faith and in defense of this gospel. Paul has shown it to be true by both reason and argument through the first three chapters of Romans. And we now come into chapter 4, and he's going to continue to prove it to be true by an example from history. Because history bears witness to the truth of God. And the example we have here is Abraham. Through God's dealing with Abraham, we learn that we cannot earn what we need, but it is provided to us by God. And so all we have to do is receive it by faith. You see, the first thing we see is Abraham certainly couldn't earn what he needed to earn to be right with God. Because Paul asks the question in verse 1 as he begins, what shall we say was gained or, or, or earned by Abraham, our forefather, According to the flesh. Another way to ask this is what did Abraham's efforts at earning God's pleasure get him? Now, Abraham, of course, was a key figure not only in the history of Israel, but in the history of the world. It was through Abraham that the Jewish people descended. And it was to Abraham that God promised to make a people for his name. And that through that people would come a redeemer who would redeem those who belong to the Lord. So in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, what we see then then is that God promised Abraham a land and descendants. And so Abraham sets out to do exactly as God commanded, which was a step of faith for him. He leaves behind his home, his family, all that he knew. But how did things go? Did Abraham gain what was promised through his own efforts? Well, reading through the recorded history of Abraham in Genesis, 
we find out, well, he really wasn't the best example of holiness and righteousness. He did have great faith, but it certainly was not perfect faith. And there were times that in fear of of men, he failed to trust God's protection and provision for him. He forgot those promises. When he was in Egypt, he lied to the Pharaoh and asked uh, regarding his wife, Sarah, saying, she's my sister instead of his wife, because he feared that he would be killed and the, the Pharaoh would take Sarah, his wife, as his own. And he did the same thing before King Abimelech, and it caused disaster in both cases. And we're even told that in in Genesis, this was his habit whenever he met men with power. He probably did it more than these, these two mentioned cases. But he also failed to trust God for the fulfillment of the promise of an heir born to him in Sarah, that from that heir would come a great nation. And so taking matters into his own hands, he fathers a child with his wife's servant instead of patiently waiting on the Lord to do what the Lord said he would do in his life. And that too led to much conflict and sorrow, both in Abraham's immediate family and for generations to come. And so Abraham gained nothing through his own efforts. He couldn't work hard enough to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise to him. And of course, that promise, it was far more than just the promise of an heir and a land and a people. It was a promise that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. It was the promise of a redeemer who would come and save people from their sins and from the judgment that those sins justly deserve. Abraham couldn't make that promise into a reality as hard as he tried. What did Abraham's effort get him? Only more sin and pain and more sorrow. You see, Abraham needed what we all need, and that is to be justified, made right before God, and he could not earn that. And so Paul continues and says in verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And he's using here a rhetorical device, uh, which is called a condition contrary to fact. It, it's meant to emphatically say that Abraham was in fact not justified by his works, by his own effort. If it was, then he had something to boast about, but he has nothing to boast about before God. Sure, he did some good things. He did obey God's command and left his father's house and the pagan idolatry of his past, but he also did a lot of bad things as well. And he did have faith, yes, but it was not perfect faith. He was constantly played with doubt. And so he wasn't justified before God by the things he did in his life. And his very life demonstrates that. It shows us his failure to make himself right in God's sight. And no wonder then, Paul implies in verse 5 that Abraham was un 
godly. Abraham couldn't make the promises of God a fulfilled reality in his life. He couldn't earn what he needed to earn to be absolved from the debt of his own sin and failure. And that's because, as we know from Scripture, your works can never earn you the capital you need to purchase your own freedom. They can't. We're all like Abraham. We are all slaves to sin. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that is literally everyone in this world. And generally speaking, a slave is not paid for his work. He doesn't receive a wage. So he cannot hope to earn the price of his freedom. And since by nature we are all sinners, we only add to the debt that we have to already pay off before God. No amount of good works could earn the capital you need to ransom yourself from your own sin. God is eternal, and so any offense against Him, any transgression of His law, is an eternal offense. How could you ever hope to pay off an eternal debt? An eternity of work would be needed. But then you would never really pay off the debt, would you? Because you would continually be working for eternity. It just isn't possible. And such is the magnitude of the problem of sin in our lives. You cannot work long enough, hard enough, or good enough to earn what you need to pay the demand of your sin. And so the reason Paul goes all the way back to Abraham for his example is because Abraham was considered by the Jews to be this pinnacle of human righteousness. If anybody could earn God's favor, it would have been Abraham. In fact, intertestamental Jewish literature shows us that they thought Abraham was nearly perfect in everything he did. But if Abraham, who was considered to be the the height of, of righteousness and godliness, couldn't earn what he needed to be in a right standing with God. How could anyone? But here's the thing. Abraham was considered righteous by God. The Bible is clear about that. Abraham was blessed beyond measure. And at the end of his life, that the testimony of Scripture is recorded in Genesis 24 was that he was blessed in all things. He was viewed as, by God as being righteous. And so how did Abraham become righteous? How did he secure God's blessing? Well, he didn't. Because it was God who blessed Abraham. While it was impossible for Abraham to earn what he needed to be credited with righteousness, God had another way in the economy of heaven to credit Abraham with that righteousness that he needed to enjoy God's blessing for all of life and eternity. And it is simply this, that God credits faith in what God has done with righteousness. 
Paul appeals to Scripture, God's holy word, to make this point in verse 3. He says, what do the Scriptures say? And he's quoting again from Genesis. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And the key word here throughout this text is counted, counted, or Credited. It is an accounting term. It has to do with uh, the records of commercial accounts. It involves depositing or, or putting money, credit, into the account of another. And who did the crediting into Abraham's account? It was God who counted him as righteous. Abraham didn't earn anything. And what did God put into his account? Righteousness. The very thing that he needed. The very thing that was lacking in his account. God put it there for him. So that he could enjoy God's blessings in his life. R.C. Sproul said, It is not that God looked down upon Abraham and said, There is a righteous man. I will justify him on the basis of his obvious righteousness. Rather, because Abraham believed God counted him as righteous. Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. But that's not because Abraham's faith was a righteous faith in the sense that it was perfect. After all, as we've observed, Abraham struggled greatly with his faith throughout his life. He grew impatient with God. He he tried to fulfill God's purposes through his own efforts rather than trusting God completely. And despite the weaknesses of his faith, though, God counted Abraham as righteous. And here's why. It's because faith trusts God to do what we cannot do. That's what faith does. It simply trusts God to do what we could never do. Faith is not a substitute for works. It is not a way to earn God's righteousness. That's what Paul says in Romans 4, 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due. So if you work for somebody, your wages, what you paid... That is what you are owed. It is a debt of your employer to you as the employer or employee. They owe you these wages. But a gift is not something that you are owed. It is not something that you deserve. It comes unexpectedly. It is not a reward for a job well done. It is a freely given gift of God. You see, God doesn't say... Well, I see you have faith. I see you're believing, so I'm going to give you righteousness. No, faith is accepting the fact that He already makes you righteous in Christ the Son. Paul says as much in verse 5, And to the one who does not work but believes in Him, who what? Who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. God justifies the ungodly. The ungodly who believe. You see, justification isn't just a bare declaration, but it is a real enactment of what God promised to Abraham long ago. 
It is the enactment of His grace to forgive and to save. And faith simply receives and trusts and rests on what God has already done for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't activate or earn righteousness simply because you have faith. You see, David also is a great example of this. Paul goes to him in verses 6 through 8 to show us that David believed what God had done for him. And that is why he was declared righteous. In verse 6, Uh, and through actually verses 7 through 8, we have a citation of David from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So David, like Abraham, was justified not by his own efforts, but purely by the grace of God on his behalf. And if anyone needed forgiveness, it was certainly David. And David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. And if you compare the sins that are recorded in Scripture of David with those of Abraham, well, David certainly seemed more heinous. And for David to be righteous... His sins would need to be covered. And here's why that is the case. God's law is not neutral. There's no neutrality in it. You either fulfill it completely through positive obedience or you break it completely through negative transgression. You break one part of the law, you break all of it. And so you can't be indifferent to what God's law demands of you. You cannot ignore the absolute holiness it expects. That is a mistake. And if you've transgressed God's law, you fully deserve the punishment for that offense. And so to be counted as righteous before God means that that offense that you have done must be covered. It must be paid for. And it is God, David says, that covers it. He covers the cost. He fulfills the debt that you owe completely. And that, says David, is a blessing. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. What is a blessing? Well, it's nothing less than happiness. The happiness of knowing that your sins have already been dealt with. It is eternal happiness. The the peace that results from not having to fear the consequences of your own failure before God. And it is that blessing that David knew. An adulterer a murderer. He knew that blessing that God had forgiven him, that God had covered for his sin. And that is why Paul mentions David as another witness to this truth that that God justifies people by faith, counting them as righteous. No human accounting for sins would ever do something like that. I mean, we can't even begin to understand that kind of radical mercy. We would never do that. 
See, no matter what you have done, no matter how you have sinned, no matter how horrible a person you are in your minds, you, right now in this moment, can be counted, can be credited with righteousness before God. You can be forgiven. Our sins, yes, they are great, but Christ is greater than the greatest of our sins. As Richard Sibbs wrote, if there are a thousand kinds of evil in us, there are a thousand ways to remedy them by Jesus Christ. And so as you look back at this past year, no doubt you say to yourself, yeah, I've been unfaithful to my Lord. I have not lived in that way that God's word, his law expects of me. I have transgressed his commandments. And that is no doubt true. You have been unfaithful. But Christ has been faithful for you. And so in the economy of heaven, no, you don't earn that righteousness you need to enjoy God's blessing, but it is credited, it is given to you through Christ Jesus, your Lord. It is a gift that you simply receive by faith alone. Faith that trusts that God has done everything for you rather than you trying to do it for yourself. Now, as believers, we, we forget that. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget the gospel. And so we need a reminder, a consistent reminder of what God has done to credit us with this righteousness that we need. Because in all of us, there is this beating heart to try to please God through our own efforts through our own experience, our own ability. And we need to be reminded regularly that you can't do that. You don't need to do that. You simply need to rest in what God has done. Even Abraham and David needed that reminder. And thankfully, God has provided one. You see, God has marked you with a seal of what God has done for you. And he tells us, about that seal in verses 9 through 12 that he had in the Old Testament. Uh, We will see there is a New Testament application of that, but verses 9 through 12, he talks about a sign and a seal of what God has done. And in the Old Testament, for the Old Testament believers, circumcision was that sign. It was a reminder that for people like Abraham and like David that God had counted them righteous and they simply needed to believe what he had done. And he carefully shows here, the Apostle Paul, that circumcision was not the source of Abraham's right standing with God, but it was the seal of it. And so he begins by emphasizing again that people are justified by faith alone. All people, both Jew and Gentile. Verses 9 and 10, he says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. 
The blessing of which he speaks here, of course, is that forgiveness of sins that David talked about in Psalm 32. And Paul asked if Abraham had that blessing, was he counted as righteous by God before or after circumcision? And the answer was, he had it before. He was counted righteous before he received the mark of what God had done. Because the faith of Abraham came years before he went through that rite. It came back when he first received that promise from God and he went out seeking that land, doing what God called him to do, trusting the Lord. And so it was Abraham's faith that made him right with God before he was administered the sign of that right relationship. Which means it couldn't have been the right of circumcision that justified Abraham at all. It had to be something else. And it was. It was God and God alone who did that out of His mercy and grace. And so then we ask, well, what was the point of receiving that right of circumcision? Well, verse 11 and 12 tell us. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before. He was circumcised. So he received that sign as a seal of the righteousness that God gave him through faith. Think about a seal. What is it? It is a mark of some authority. It says that something is authentic and true. And kings and queens, of course, used to put a seal of wax upon the official communications that they would send out to authenticate the message that was contained within, that this is an actual royal message. And we still do that practice today, though not necessarily with a wax seal. Official state correspondence, um, say from the office of the president, will bear the seal of the president of the United States. Why? To say that this is the authentic message from the White House. This is the, contains the message the White House wants you to say. It's got the seal on there to confirm this. Well, Abraham's circumcision served in that capacity. It was not the means or the instrument by which he was granted this righteousness he needed, but it was a reminder that God had already credited him with that righteousness. It's uh, it authenticated God's promise to him of God's covenant to him and, and for all who would come after him. In fact, in the ceremonial laws of Israel, infant boys were required to be administered the rite of circumcision on the eighth day following their birth. And again, the purpose was to serve as a sign of, of, of God's seal of righteousness that he redeems people, that he makes them right, that he justifies them. And they simply need to believe what he has done. Now, the, the right itself didn't make those infant boys righteous. Because there was still the necessity of faith. 
That's why Paul says Abraham was the father of the circumcised who walk in the footsteps of faith. But the right we see pointed not to the faith of the individual, but back to God's work for them on their behalf. That's important. It was a sign and seal of God's righteousness, not Abraham's faith. So, okay, then, what does that have to do with us today? Well, we know when we go to Scripture that God has given another sign of this grace, of this righteousness that He credits to those whom He saves, that we receive through faith. And that sign, as we see in Colossians 2, is baptism. We learn there in Colossians 2, 11 and 12, that baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign and seal of God's righteousness. Now, like circumcision pointed to what God had done for Abraham, and, it was received, and thus he receives that in faith. So baptism now points to that same righteousness that God credits to those whom he saves. Your baptism is not about what you have done. It's not about your faith at all. It's about what God has done for you. He credited you with righteousness. His act of obedience in the person of Christ fulfilled the law for you because you couldn't do it. And because of that, when you are knighted to Jesus by the grace of God, He says to you, you are righteous. You are right with Me. And so your baptism, it is a mark, seal, that preaches to you what God has done For you, it preaches to you the gospel. It reminds you what God has done on your behalf. Now, sometimes Christians throughout history have treated baptism as a mark of what they have done, particularly their faith in Christ. And maybe you've heard that, that that baptism is a, a public testimony of my faith in Christ. But that's not what it's about at all. It's about what God has done for you, not your faith. I mean, why would you need a reminder of your faith if your faith is not perfect? That would be discouraging. But to be reminded that despite the doubts that often plague your faith, that God still declares you righteous because of what Jesus did, now that's something special. And that is what baptism proclaims. It's also the reason why in our Presbyterian and Reformed circles, we do baptize our children at young ages while they are yet infants. Because the baptism really isn't about the child at all. It's not what he does or she does or his or her parents do. It's about what God does for them on their behalf. And when they are able, they, like Abraham, receive in faith the work that God has done on their behalf. You cannot earn the credit you need to stand right before God, but thanks be to God that He has earned it already for you. And that's why we're baptized, to be a a, a reminder, a sign and seal of the righteousness of God proclaimed to you. And so may the waters that pour down 
remind you of the grace of heaven that pours down upon you to cover your sins and wash them all away. Maybe you were baptized long ago as a child or maybe even as an adult. And for the first time, through the work of God in your heart, you're awakening to the reality of what Jesus did for you. If that is the case, trust him. Don't trust your baptism. Don't trust what you can do or think you can do because you can't do enough to earn that righteousness. But trust God who has earned it for you. Perhaps you, like me, do have faith. But you look upon your faith and it feels at times so fragile. In fact, you think back to this past year as people often do and you say, boy, did I fail, my God. I was not faithful to him. You see, he, though, was faithful to you. And that is what that seal, that mark of God upon you of your baptism is preaching to you right now. No, you were not faithful, but he was. And he has saved you. And because of that, God looks upon you and says, you are my righteous child. So listen to him. Listen to the voice of heaven that makes you your own and proclaims to you both in word and in sacrament this truth that you could never earn what you needed to earn, but God in his mercy has already earned it for you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, indeed, we are humbled by the sheer grace of the gospel. For we as humans would never dream of a gift, of giving a gift this great. Yet you chose to cover our sins in Christ. You forgive us of every misdeed. And then you say to us, despite our sinfulness, you, you are righteous. And so for this, we praise you. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to remind us of these things, that you would continue to strengthen our faith, even as at times it feels so frail, that even in those times when we do begin to doubt, you would remind us that we carry a mark, that we belong to your church. We have been baptized, that the waters of our baptism preach to us the truth we are made new in Jesus. We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen.